Verse 9. Does anyone want to read um, 9 to 14? And then someone else read 15 to 20? Okay. He's got the second half. I'll take it. Okay. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, Obtain this promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Awesome. Thanks, you guys, for reading. Uh, let me pray to start, and then we'll dive in. Um, Father, we just come before you tonight. Just thankful we can gather together. Um, Lord, help us understand your word tonight. Help us to... Apply it rightly and apply it to our life. Um, God, we're all learning and implementing things. Are the Spirit guiding us to, as you call us to obey you? And God, I just pray tonight that we can push one another. God, to continue growing closer to you, pressing on to maturity like we learned last week. And so, Lord, help us tonight. Um, may your Spirit guide us. To your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who loves to work? Depends on the kind of work. So what work do you guys love? Just... I, I like to work. I mean, my job is like basically evangelism at this point. And so I have just this opportunity to just talk about Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I really do like love going in and, and doing... And there's parts of my aspects of my job that I don't like. Um, but the connection with people is just so valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to work. And, and I think the value for me is, is like people connections. I love that. Yeah. That's good. Same thing? Yeah. I think it's the passion for me when I work because I like to make music. Mm-hmm. I get paid for it. It's, just, it's, a, I, it's an added extra, but just doing the act of making music is just so Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know this room is, we got different people here. We got people in their dream job, people not in their dream job, and then people hopefully working either toward their dream job or just in a state of in between. And 
this culture, right, we have both extremes. Those who love work too much and those that are just sluggish, lazy, hate work. And I think we'd all agree believers should not be characterized as lazy, right? And why, why bring that up? Remember last week, we're talking about a, a group of Christians. This pastor, who's the author of Hebrews, is writing to them. And basic stuff, right? We're having to lay a foundation. Remember the house illustration. The, the construction builder isn't laying the foundation and then laying another foundation, then laying another foundation, and then puts it on the market to sell you a foundation. That's just several built on top. No, we have to move on, press on to maturity, not revisiting those basic doctrines, but moving on because, right, there's this warning of falling away, right? I kept thinking of what Joe said last week, that to read this text and not understand is to, to come to a conclusion of I'm out, I'm not. I can never get in. I've, I've fallen away, and there's no way I can come back. But we get to our text tonight, and we see that the pastor here, he's confident that the group he's writing to, they won't fall away. They are in the faith. They've professed Jesus as Lord. That he, they've called on him to save them from their sins. And he's confident that they won't fall away. That as we looked at in John, right, that we are in the Father's hand. No one can snatch us out. That they can feel confident. So there's this exhortation to assurance there. Verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, right, beloved, an endearment term, right, a term we don't use often, but you, you love this person, this pastor loves this group of people. We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Again, he's confident and he's assuring his, his hearers, his congregation, be firm in their faith, but there are spiritual dangers. Right? This author is speaking to a group that they didn't fall away. There were some that went back to a Jewish system, back to a, a system like we looked at in the first few chapters of believing angels was greater than Jesus, believing the Old Testament system was better. But the group he's writing to, they have not fallen away. They have stayed in the faith. They feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Two outcomes, right? A bad outcome and a good outcome. So the question is, what are these better things? The, the definite article here applies the better of two opposite courses of action. The better things, the things that accompany, accompany salvation. So what are the blessings of salvation? Gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. Right? We've all been given a gift, right? What else? Communion with like, God. Communion with God. We're reconciled back to Him. Eternity that started at our justification and not our death. Mm-hmm. 
only reconciliation with God, but with our fellow brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. We have assurance. Mm-hmm. What else? Right, this, this list is long. Hope. Sorry. Did you say the church? Mm-hmm. 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 Right, we have each other to. Yeah, gratitude. Mm-hmm. Gratitude's a big one. Man, Barry, you keep licking my hand. <laughs> Contentment in what love is. Mm-hmm. This is what the world knows love is not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The pastor here, right? He's speaking of these, these blessings. You've, you've stayed. You're pressing on. You're pressing on in faith, pressing on in maturity. And there in verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. God sees it all. I think that's a reminder both in a good way and in a bad way. Right, it's a reminder he sees all. There's nothing we can hide from God. All our sin is exposed before him. All of our insufficiencies are exposed before him. I can right, try to hide my weakness from you guys. I can try to look strong. I can answer all your questions in like a, I'm great, life's awesome, Emily doesn't hate me, right? When all the opposite could be, True, she doesn't hate me. That's a, that's a horrible example. <laughs> but on the other side, God sees it all. He sees the suffering you're going through. He sees the persecution you might be facing at work or at school or with family. He sees the way you serve people that no one else sees you. He sees it all. And the, the audience here, right, he says it's not unjust as to overlook your work and the love you've shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do, as they are still serving, as persecution is coming upon them. They are still serving the saints. They are still meeting with others. Just as you are serving and are loving on other people, and though you don't get recognition for it, though it may not be something people are seeing, God sees it. He's the one we ultimately try to please, not the the uh, not trying to please man, but pleasing God, which is where, right, then we get to verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish right two words that oppose each other the desire for each one to show the same earnestness so that you may not be sluggish what is the enemy of perseverance what would be the opposite not persevering laziness right apathy that's another word um the word sluggish it was used back in verse 5 chapter 5 verse 11 where this warning started and it reads about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull 
of hearing. We have the same word there. Slow ears lead to a lazy life. If you're slow to listen, leading to a lazy life. Parents who are sluggish will be slow to discipline. Students who are slow, who are lazy, will not work. Teachers who are lazy to teach. Men who are indifferent to being men. Women who are indifferent to being women. Believers indifferent to the things of the word. It's almost a badge of honor in this culture to be lazy and to be one who's sluggish and not a hard worker. Too busy for anything. And let's let's ask the question, why are we lazy sometimes? It's comfortable. Easy. Comfortable, easy. Lack of motivation. Lack of motivation. I think it we call it rest when it's not actually something that's gonna provide us rest. Mm-hmm. At its core, it's selfishness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think discontentment is a big one too. Mm-hmm. It is. And pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right, we're this this place of laziness, which has been crazy to watch, is we're in the one place in the world where our hard work can achieve something. So we, we can work hard to go somewhere else. That in our Christian life, we have every resource available to us to work hard and press on. That we have, I say this loosely, but a plethora of churches, right? One church makes you mad, go the one down the road. One, one church you don't like the carpet, Go down the road. I'm not suggesting any of that. Right? But we're in the one place where yet we have everything to us and yet we can be so lazy. But what do we do to fight laziness? We can give all these practical examples. Right? We can talk about post-it notes reminding us to work hard. We can talk about reminders on our phone that says... Don't be dumb. Work hard. Like we can name all the practical examples, but until a change, a Holy Spirit filled God, help me to glorify you in my work. And whether that's work at your job, whether that's work in your spiritual life, right? It takes work to grow in Christ, to to be daily in the Word, to be in prayer, to gather with the church week after week whether you feel like it or not, whether you're tired, whether you want to sleep in, to gather with the church, to to sing, right? Any, any one of us can go to church and just, I don't want to sing in front of you guys, but sing super like soft versus loud, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? Is our joyful noise this... Ooh, like, you know, like 20 decibels, 100 decibels. I don't know. But, right, why ask this question, right? Those who work at their faith 
make their hope sure. Okay, so verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I think that piece about full assurance, um, you know, laziness can strike us when like, um, Dustin was talking about being apathetic. But apathy can, can even mean, like, I, I fail to see my sense of purpose. You know, like, if I knew my sense of purpose, then there would be an overflow within me, like a desire. And our desire is not as strong of my own, um, but of God within me. Like, like that, if, if his heart for people was constantly... Um, if, if I gave in the purpose of God's heart within me, then like, my energy would be unlimited. You know, like there, you would always want to go out. Um, so I think, I think since like, as believers we we know our purpose in God, He He puts it out in front of us. Um, I think there's a there's a hope and a strength in being reminded in the know of your identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, like keeping those things, even though they might seem elementary, like oh. Of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for. And it's like, it almost speaks um, not in this term of like wish fulfillment, not in this term of like arbitrarily hoping that things will end up a certain way, but it's the assurance of a faith hoped for that you can have the conviction of things not seen. You can't do either of those things without a vision or a kind of a step by step. Yeah, and chapter 11 is really cool. It just goes on the list. Uh, a bunch of people who were so solid in faith. Um, so starting with um, Abraham, Moses, all the OT guys just go through it. It's great. The OG guys. Um, OG, OT. Um, and then it gets into <laughs> even people who were persecuted. Uh, I'm talking about people who were beaten, flawed, people who were inching, people who were sawn into, um, and all these people, like, and then it goes on to testify, say that the world was not worthy of them. Yeah. Because they're holding on to something better. Like, if what they had faith in, what they were hoping in, was a country, a nation that existed here, they would have a chance to get back to it. 
Mm -hmm. But no, they're holding it to something beyond, something further, a heavenly I mean, that's exactly what he's saying in verse 13, right? These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but well, having seen them afar off. Yeah, and which is incredibly encouraging for us, because, like, it's been 2,000 years since the resurrection and the commission of the church, and we're still waiting on them. Like, yeah, we're still waiting, but so were all those guys back then. Um, even before they had the assurance that we have now right. in the new promise. Abraham didn't have the new promise, neither did Moses, but yet they were faithful. Can you define what you guys mean by vision? Because like, that word kind of is thrown around. I'm like, I mean it in like the charismatic. Yeah, I know you don't mean it in that way, but what do you mean in a non-charismatic Verse 13, they did not inherit the promises, but they followed, not verse 13 here, verse 13, verse chapter 11. They inherited the promises, that, well, they did not inherit them in an earthly, tangible manner, but they were able to keep hope. They did not lose hope because of what was seen far off, right? So they didn't see it manifest. That's the key word right there. Right. See. They didn't see it in the tangible realm, but they looked to... Don't look to what is seen, right? Look to the, the eternal realm. Mm -hmm. and have your hope, I think that's... I think for us, it's, it's, it's seeing who Christ is, yeah. right? If, if we saw Christ with who he is, would we say half the things we say? No. Mm -hmm. Would we do half the things we do? If we actually, if, if it was so real to us, of who Christ is and the fact that he's in us, right? Yeah. And his, his spirit is in us, part of us. And, and so that that is not something that you learn and you study and you write it, you know, you, you answer a test question. Right. That's that's something the Holy Spirit opens your just like just like in Ephesians, right, where it talks about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's a spiritual enlightenment. You know, I'm not talking about anything, you know, not so here. I'm just saying that we all came to faith in Christ because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to the fact that we were sinners. And we were yeah. You know, yeah. that was a that was a revelation. That was a revelation. So the same thing is true here. We need to have a vision of who Christ is and what He's done. And we need to see that. It needs to be so real to us that it starts to just structure everything in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, think about the amount of suffering, bro. Like Jesus Christ that went through in His lifetime, and His thirty-three years or however long He was here. What thirty-three? Mm -hmm. We did. We just smell. We don't deserve them. We don't. Yeah, know. Wow. Uh, but God. Yeah. Does that does that help answer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Something I would encourage. Um, that's the question that that kind of shakes your faith, uh, especially if you believe you you have it all when you pray a prayer. Um, how God becomes real to you. We were talking about this last week. Um, to know God. If to know God, ask the question, who is Jesus to you, you know, personally? You know, as, as we can accept his gift to us, that's a personal gift. Um, I, I think then it differentiates, like, instead of, like, Jesus loves the whole world, he does, you know, but when we understand Jesus loves you, like, what really is the depth of God's love? You know, like, ask big questions, um, especially in the presence of, of as people, is, like, that's something that's really helped me is, um, is to ask big questions. You know, 
So Hooji's to you. Mm-hmm. So that's where I want to bring a verse to your attention to, that you guys have been hitting on. Philippians 2. Paul looks to this church in Philippi. He says, Therefore, my beloved, you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but as much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right, and we, we're on this idea right now of the, the, the pastor here saying, don't be sluggish. Don't be slow to grow and press on to maturity, but work toward it. Work hard. In this Philippians 2 passage, right, are we diligent to hear the word preached? Are we coming to church? Are we coming to a Wednesday night ready to hear the word preached? Whatever we need to do. Studying the word. Are we taking time in our day? Are we praying daily and often? Are we looking to share Jesus and the gospel with someone? Gathering with the church. And the exhortation for the hearers and, and for us tonight, not to be lazy and seeking to grow and mature in Christ. And this is where our second point tonight, the promise from God himself. So he's, he's made this point. But he's now going to look to one of the, as Dalton would say, the OT guys, Abraham. Verse 13, for in God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Right, going back to the covenant God made with Abraham. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And like you guys were talking about with Hebrews 11, right? Abraham didn't see the promise fulfilled. Isaac didn't see the promise fulfilled. These guys didn't see it, but they lived by faith. They lived see, having conviction of something they had not seen yet. And so why, why make this point? Right, A Jewish audience who knows Abraham, who at one point looked to Abraham why him? Abraham believed the promises of God and therefore he has inherited the promise. Why did Abraham receive the promise? He patiently endured. And if you go one chapter further with Hebrews 11, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Right, Abraham patiently endured. Jesus in this life here patiently endured. Right? It wasn't in Jesus' timing he did what he did, but in the Father's will and the Father's time did according to the Father's will, dying according to when the Father would have him die on the cross, but he did it with joy. Abraham, with joy, patiently 
enduring. And it gives us this example that we follow other believers' example who have believed and followed God, right? Our church, there's a reason why in the New Testament, older teach the younger. The younger look to the older example. Ron and Sue are not old, but we look to their example, right? Harrison and Julie, some of you might be older than them, but some of you aren't, right? You can look to their example. There's other people in the church you can look to their example as they have lived, as they have endured in this life. You can follow their example. Who are, who are people in your life that you have looked to, followed after? Who else? Who are your mentors? Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. Any, for me, I get a little, it's personal here. Uh, for me, my, my dad wasn't the, the spiritual leader of my household. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, when, when I saw something in, in man that was like deep, you know, a desire, something that wasn't as lazy, some, but someone that, that knew why they were doing and why they wanted to do it. Um, I knew that they could impart parts of that in me. So I, I put myself around those people, whether it be my youth pastor or people to go camping with and, and uh, to teach me things about how to be a man, but also how to be a godly man. Um, they taught me this word diakone, which means to be a servant leader. Um, yeah, so mentors, people to like-minded. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I've had a lot of professors that have been a blessing. Remind me of things, give me feedback about things, and help me work through ideas. Um, but yeah, I mean, pastors at, at our church and otherwise, it's really been a blessing to be able to talk to them and speak to them and yeah, sit under them. It's mm-hmm. privilege. It's good. Something else to speak to that. I think something that's Mentors are not always out there to show themselves. Mentors can be super humble. Um, so, you know, and if the, the verse keeps on coming, Psalm 26, be still and know that I'm God. You know, there's there's power in asking people that know you in the church about, hey, like, I am looking to go deep in my faith. Um, it's okay to say that. You know, it's okay to say that I, I want to, like, is there any class that I can go sit in they're going through some deep topics. Um, can I go sit in it? Um, I, I remember walking into a, a Bible study and there's 65 was the youngest age, you know, and uh, you know a lot of what was going on was it was going through Romans, so there was a lot of people that hadn't really received this idea of new covenant. Um, but it, that Bible study started teaching me how to rightly divide the word of God. Um, so that I'll you know it's forever changed in that way, and, and now you can like call up these people so yeah I was like I, I didn't take advantage of that community when I was younger mm-hmm. so it's cool to know that they're still there it's good I just have to say that just burns my heart what the choices you've made that you've made a point to put yourself around this godly man and that's convicting to me sometimes I'm like 
talking about my troubles and blah, 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 or whatever, but like I just need to seek out those godly women and just be around them. Stop worrying about myself and my choices. Just be around those women. I think it's a Proverbs where it says, uh, do not be, I don't know what it says word for word, because do not be deceived for bad company brings bad morals. Uh-huh. I'm kind of like, that's, It's good to have people around you that's pushing you to grow and not pulling you away from God, right? So we follow the example of those set before us. Then we get to verse 16 here, and something happens. The pastor here, building an argument, says, Four people swear by something greater than themselves, and all in their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when men who are in strife and they want peace and they want to guarantee peace, right? They they make peace and they keep it by swearing an oath, right? And it's usually by something greater than themselves. And then verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for the refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Right? Two things happened. Abraham was promised a nation. Right? Promised a people. And the people of Israel, right, would grow. They'd be in slavery to Egypt. And God would lead the people out, and he promised them a land. And you guys, I think, all know this story, that they're led out, the Red Sea splits, they wander the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't believe they would enter the rest. And we talked about this a few chapters ago, but then that generation died off, and they entered the rest. That God kept his promise. There's also a greater promise to come, that he would send the seed, that he would send Jesus through Abraham's lineage. That Matthew, you read of people and you read them and you're like, they're in, they're in Jesus' lineage? They're, why are they in there? Why is Judah in there? But it shows us that sinners were in the lineage that would bring Christ, people, the worst of the worst, was used for the glory of God. That Jesus came through Abraham's lineage, and then he would, those who believed in Jesus would enter a better rest. Not a land here rest, but a land there, heaven rest. Rest with God. And what's the author's next point? That So that by two unchangeable things that God cannot change and he cannot lie an oath he makes a promise he makes he keeps that promise and he can't go back on that promise so a promise of John 10 for no one can snatch you out of the father's hand there isn't a possibility where we could be snatched out because the father changes his mind that God would somehow lie and that it's not actually true that there is a way to be snatched out the father's hand every promise we read 
right? God will keep that promise. He has a promised eternal life to those who believe, who've trusted in Jesus, that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Difficulty in life, difficulty with relationships, difficulty with work, difficulty enduring. There's a refuge in God that we can flee to, and that refuge is strong. That refuge cannot be overcome by anything. And right, how encouraging is that? How encouraging to know that the the problems, the the, the struggles we have, God is our refuge. Right? And the word refuge means shelter or protection from danger distress or some enemy right we flee from dangers of this world right what are things we can flee from throw that out there bears bears (laughs) right i hope you i hope you flee from bears you're not i'm I'm, I'm running from a bear okay you're gonna Bears passing you, bro. Uh, Still God. running. Yeah. You know, I uh, put on the readiness. Daniel in the line stem. On my feet, you know. Here we go. You're not supposed to run. What are you supposed to do? Depends on the bear. Yeah, depends on the bear. Get big. Get big. Get big. Flex. Flex. You, you slowly, you very slowly back away while you make a lot of noise and you, yeah, you you puff up basically. You make yourself bigger. Flex. He is experienced. <laughs> okay, off topic. We're talking about bears now. What do you flee from? can run from your problems, Mm -hmm. um, difficult relational issues. Mm -hmm. You run from God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the other other side of this question, right, is when you flee from something, what are you fleeing to? And are you fleeing to God? Right? And we talked about last week, right, laying the foundation again. A, a basic belief of Christianity, running to God in time of need. Running to God when times get hard. Running to God when the enemy comes. But we go to God that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Which then goes on. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What's that phrase talking about? The holies of holies. The The place where God resided, the people did not go there. Are you talking, like, is this going back to the Old Testament Jewish law that they've been talking about for the last six chapters? Is that what this is pointing back to? So this is talking to a place in the temple, right? And the significance, right? This is where God dwelled. When Jesus died, what happened? The veil's torn in two, right? And the symbolism, right? There's no longer 
a need to have a priest go to God on our behalf. There's no need for the priest to make a sacrifice every year for the people. Jesus was the final sacrifice and the veil torn in two. The Holy Spirit now dwells within us. We are each, our body is now the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that there is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. The veil that has separated God and man, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that veil is torn in two. We can have a relationship with God, a relationship that through the triune God prayer, right, Holy Spirit interceding, Christ making it possible, praying to the Father, our salvation, right, Holy Spirit sealed us, the work of Christ on the cross, the Father's plan. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And this whole thing we've been talking about, about him being our great high priest. He's the greatest high priest we could ever have. As Ephesians 1 says, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's the greatest high priest we can ever have forever after the order of Mekizeldek. Now we will get into him next week because there's a... There's a lot going on there that will take time. So There's a reason why the author here, as soon as he first introduced Melchizedek, mm-hmm. was talking about that, he's like, but we've got to take a break because you guys aren't into that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a chapter preparing them to yeah. make it into a year. So that is next week's topic. But the encouragement, I hope, this week. right? This isn't last week where we're talking about Am I out? Am I never going to be able to get in? The pastor here who's writing to a group of people who's saying who he believes won't fall. That they will press on toward maturity. They will press on growing in Christ. And the encouragement is that God swore an oath on himself. That God never changes he never lies. He can't break a promise. And the promises we read in Scripture are true. They're final. They're complete. They're complete in Christ. And we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Yes. So every promise you read this week in your Bible reading, wherever that may be, and maybe next week we'll talk about the promises we've read and have cherished over the week. What promises you are cherishing Because of the work Jesus did, because of God and the oath he has made, 